This is a Rooster Teeth production. October 31st, 2000. Singapore Airlines Flight 006, a Boeing 747 with 179 people on board, is preparing to take off from Taipei's Chiang Kai-shek Airport bound for Los Angeles. The crew is hoping to get airborne before a typhoon hits the island. There's poor visibility due to the typhoon and a nighttime departure. The plane lines up on the runway and begins accelerating for takeoff. 41 seconds into its takeoff roll, the plane strikes construction equipment that has been left on the runway. The plane breaks into three large pieces and becomes engulfed in flames. Why was construction equipment left on the runway? How did the crew not see what was happening? Find out on this episode of Black Box Down. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Black Box Down. It's Gus and Chris back with another episode. How are you, Chris? I'm good. How are you? Doing all right, man. Uh, as always, before we get started, I want to remind everyone to give us a follow on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Black Box Down Pod. And we have a Facebook now. Yeah, on Facebook too. Now you can tell your grandparents about Black Box Down. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, We just started this group, so go and um, join it and then do that thing where you send it out to all the people that you're friends with. Share it. Share it. Spread the word. Let people know. High quality Invite entertainment. Invite people to share yeah. the enjoyment. It's like when you're a little kid, right? You're taught to share. Yeah. Just do the same. Keep sharing. All right. So uh, we're doing Singapore Airlines Flight 006. Uh, like I said, unusual one. Uh, I say that so often. Uh, hit construction equipment on a runway. Yeah. We've covered ones that have hit debris on the runway, but never like construction equipment. Yeah. Um, this one struck two excavators, two vibrating rollers, one small bulldozer, and one air compressor. That's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff on the runway, yeah. I don't really know what all those things were, but they sound bulldozer. big. You know that one, right? Yeah, yeah. An excavator's like uh, the scoopy one. Oh, the scoop! Man, that, that is those are giant machines. Yeah, big pieces of equipment. So it's, it's awful. Uh, terrible, terrible tragedy. Uh, I think uh, in this one, 83 people passed away. There were 96 survivors. Because, I mean, they were going really fast at yeah. the time of impact. Obviously, you know, they were accelerating to try to take off. So like I said, this was a passenger flight, and uh, it was from Singapore's Changi Airport to Los Angeles International Airport, but it had a stopover at Chiang Kai-shek Airport in Taipei, Taiwan. And like I said, it was October 31st, 2000. The crew was Captain Fung Chi Kong, who was 41 years old and had 11,235 flight hours. First officer was uh, Latif Serrano, who was 36 years old, had 2,442 flight hours. And uh, there was also a relief pilot. I apologize. I don't know how to say his name. I believe it's Ng Keng Ling, who was 38 years old and had uh, 5,508 flight hours. The plane was a Boeing 747, big old plane, had 18,459 hours and had been through 2,274 cycles. This particular plane, you know how sometimes airlines, you know, paint their uh, their planes like kooky colors as a promotional thing? Uh, yeah, yeah. This was like that. This was one of those planes. It, uh, it, I guess it was like painted, I think they call it a tropical paint scheme uh-huh. to promote first and business class for Singapore Airlines. So what color was it? All kinds of colors. It was like a blue and orange and looked like maybe there was like lines all over it. Oh, oh, oh we'll post a picture on social okay. media. It's actually a really cool looking paint job. It definitely stands out. You know, it's not yeah. like a, any other plane. It, it, would, it would stand out in a lineup. So besides the flight crew, there were also 17 other crew members and 159 passengers on board as well. So I think there's a total of about 179 occupants. The flight crew departed from Singapore on October 30th and landed in Taiwan late at night and they stayed at a hotel, you know, normal procedure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the flight to LA was scheduled for the next night. 
The crew arrived at the airport a little before 10 p.m. on October 31st and began their pre-flight duties. And as part of that, you know, they went over dispatch documents. And in the documents was a, a NOTAM, which is a notice to all airmen. And this notice said that runway 5 right had a partial closure. The crew then contacted air traffic control to get their clearance and listened to the automated terminal information service. That service provided the following information. Runway 5 left is in use. Runway 6 for departure only. Expect ILS 5 left. Wind 020 degrees at 36 knots, gusting 52 knots. Visibility 500 meters, which is about 1,600 feet or a third of a mile. Mm -hmm. Runway 5 left visibility 450 meters. Runway 6, 500 meters visibility with heavy rain. Broken clouds at 200 feet. Overcast layer at 500 feet. Runway 5 right between November 4 and November 5 closed due to work in progress. And that just means like those are the taxiways. Like November 4 and November 5 are about halfway down the runway. And those are just like, we've talked about these before, like exits that... uh, a plane can take or, you know, ways to get on and off a runway. Okay, yeah, yeah. And like I said earlier, there's also a typhoon approaching, which is why there was heavy rain, strong winds, and low visibility. So, okay. uh, you know, the crew wants to try to get airborne before the typhoon gets any worse and makes it impossible to take off. Because I think at this point, they're approaching, like, the maximum crosswind speed for a takeoff. If they wait any longer, they're going to have to scrap the flight. Okay. And all that information that, like, was read on the thing, what exact, what would sum that up as far as, like, what they were being told? What it's saying is runway five left is the runway that's being used. Runway six, like I said, departure only. So expect runway five left is what it's saying. Okay. High winds, relatively low visibility, and there's a cloud layer that's overcast. It's pretty low. And they're giving information about the runway five right closure. Remember I said earlier it's partially closed. When you say five left and five right, is that like... I don't know how much we've talked about runway uh, designations on this podcast before. So the numbers in a runway tell you what direction they're running. Like if you think about them like degrees. So okay. So there's two runways heading in the 05 direction, five left and five right. And if you're looking at them, left is obviously the one on the left and right's the one on the right. And then this says this runway six also. So that one's going to be facing a little more to the right. Okay. It's telling you that there's three runways. One of them's partially closed. One of them's in use. And then one of them's for departure only. <laughs> and that they should expect to take off on the one on the furthest to the left. 05 is the direction, not the number of the runway. It is also the number. They number them oh. with the direction that to okay. try to simplify it. Okay. And they go in both ways. So like if they're coming in the other direction, then that would be runway 23 or runway 23 because they add 180 degrees to it to go in the other direction. Uh-huh. So 18 plus 5 is 23. So then if they're landing in a southerly direction, southwesterly, uh, then it would be runway 23. Okay. Yeah. And at first I was thinking like clock numbers, but then, yeah, that makes degrees make more sense. Yeah. So now that you know that, I mean, airport, looking at airports diagrams will make a lot more sense. You know, they try to keep it standard. That way, you know, you know, <laughs> based on your direction, what runway yeah. you're looking at, even from the air, you can tell like, oh, you know, these two are side by side. That's left. That's right. And they have big numbers on them as well in each direction to let you know. But the important takeaway here is that on runway five, right, it's closed between taxiways November 4 and November 5. And if you're ever in a plane and you look out, you'll uh-huh. see these signs all on the runway. Like you'll see, like in this case, N4 and N5. You know, you'll see 5L, 5R, 6. You know, you'll see your runway numbers and you'll see the different taxiways on little yellow signs that are uh, along the runways and taxiways. Next time you're okay. in a plane, take a look. You'll, you'll see, you'll be able to track your progress on the airport tarmac. Okay. Okay, so... At 11.05 p.m., they pushed back from the gate and they requested taxi instructions. The controller gave them to taxi to runway 6, but then he made a correction. And he said, actually, you're going to taxi to runway 5 left. 
The first officer stated that he missed the taxi instructions and the captain repeated the instructions to him. The first officer then read back the instructions to air traffic control and he began his taxi. As they were taxiing, the three pilots had a conversation about the weather and that they said that if they don't take off soon, you know, the weather's going to get worse. They turned onto taxiway November Papa, which is NP. They use um, words to try to avoid any confusion, mm-hmm. right? Like N sounds like M, P might sound like D. So they turned onto taxiway November Papa, which is NP, which runs alongside runway five right. Okay. So basically they're going parallel to the runway, uh, taxiing to their departure. They were then instructed to hold short of runway five left. So basically just like stop before getting on the runway. Like waiting in line or? Yeah, there, I don't think there was anyone in line at this point, but you know, just holding. Uh-huh. Very common, happens all the time. The captain was kind of directing the first officer on where to taxi, letting him know which taxis were ahead as they were getting close to the runway. The captain said, the next one is November 1, followed by, okay, second right. So as they were approaching the end of November Papa, which again is the taxiway, they called air traffic control to let them know they were ready for takeoff. Air traffic control responded saying, taxi into position and hold. But then shortly after that, they go in and they cleared them for their takeoff. The crew completed their before takeoff checklist and began to turn from taxiway November Papa through November 1 onto the runway at 11.16 p.m. So basically, they're turning off of the taxiway, they're passing one of those little exit ramps and then lining up for the runway. And as they were lining up for the runway, the first officer said that the PVD had not lined up yet. And the PVD stands for paravisual display. It's like this little thing that sits near the top of the, like their dashboard, and it looks like a black and white barber pole. And it's this little display that lets them receive directional information without having to like look all the way down. It's like in their peripheral view. So that we can keep looking mm-hmm. forward, just get this information. The PVD is tuned to the takeoff runway's ILS signal, and it helps keep the pilot on the runway center line during takeoff, like when visibility is poor. Okay. It's like this little indicator that lets you know when you're lined up on the center line. So even if there's fog or rain or whatever, you still know oh. you're lined up right on the center line of the runway. Sorry, where is it located exactly? It's like... It's like on the top of the dashboard, basically. Okay, okay. I'm trying to envision... Yeah. They don't have to look all the way down. That way, if they're looking straight out the window, it's still in their peripheral view. Gotcha. If the plane is on the runway line, the PVD is stationary. But if it drifts left or right, it'll start rotating in the direction the pilot needs to move to get back, you know, lined up with the center line. So basically, like, it's kind of like, I like to think of it like a level, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> you, you know, it's like, oh, I'm a little off. I need to get the bubble in the middle, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, it sounds cool. And, and it's, and it's electronic in that. Yes. It's just like wiggling around. Yeah. So the first officer said, you know, he's pointing out, it's like, hey, it's not, PVD is not lined up. Captain responds saying, yeah, we got to line up first, followed by the relief pilot saying that they needed 45 degrees. The reason why the PVD wasn't lined up is because they had taxied on the runway five right instead of five left, and they didn't know it. Oh, how? They're lined up on the wrong runway. They're lined up on the closed runway. And that's why the PVD's like, you know, kind of, it's not freaking yeah. out, but it's letting them know, like, you're not lined up on center line. This isn't correct. How did they do that exactly? They just, the weather? They were turning off of the taxiway, and they had, they're supposed to cross November 1, which, like I said. Then they have to supposed to cross five right, and they're supposed to keep going to get to five left. But they crossed November 1 and then just immediately turned onto 5 right. So they turned too early. They turned too early. They, they should have gone a little further and then turned. But they just, they took one turn too quick. Oh. So a few seconds later, the captain noted the PVD still not lined up, but he said, never mind, we can see the runway. It's not so bad. Oh, no. Yeah, then he began to increase the throttles. There's some speculation here. Um, this is, I don't think this is in the final report, uh, but there's speculation here that because the, the weather was so bad, the captain was taxiing slow, right? He's trying to be super mm-hmm. cautious and super safe that it took so long for him to get 
to five right that he thought he'd probably gone under normal circumstances that amount of time, he would have made it all the way to five left. Mm -hmm. But since he was going so slow, the same amount of time had passed, but he hadn't gone as far. So yeah, it was just in his head, like mentally deceiving. Yeah, like time-wise, we've gone far enough. This is it. But really, since he's going so slow, they had not gone far enough. Well, but if he, if it if the thing is that far off, 45 degrees or something, wouldn't that say that something is wrong? He's probably just thinking, oh, it's an instrument that's messed up or the ILS isn't working. Maybe it's something weather-related. But in his mind, he's like, yeah, but we're on the runway. You know, he can and see it. And we're lined up, yeah. Yeah, he's like, I can see that we're on the center line. It's fine, we can, we'll make it. Which, you know, you're not supposed to do, obviously. Um, so, like I said, 11.16 p.m., they begin their takeoff roll. Both the first officer and the relief pilot call out 80 knots, which is about 92 miles an hour or 148 kilometers an hour. A couple moments later, the captain curses and says, something there. And one second later, the sound of impact was recorded on the oh, cockpit no. voice recorder. So at about 33 seconds after the takeoff roll began, the aircraft collided with several concrete barriers, two excavators, two rollers, a bulldozer, an air compressor cart, and a pile of metal reinforcement bars on runway 5 right between taxiway November 4 and November 5. Uh, they had a ground speed of 131 knots, which is 151 miles an hour or 243 kilometers an hour. So imagine you're in this giant plane and uh -huh. you hit construction equipment at 151 miles an hour. A lot of it too. Yeah. So when they impacted the equipment, the plane broke apart and the fuel ignited. The tower controller saw the fire and called emergency fire response. The aft section of the fuselage separated and was generally intact, but the mid and forward portions of the fuselage sustained extreme fire damage. And if you remember, the 747 is the plane that has like that upper deck at the front of the plane. Only the uh -huh. front part has got like that hump. 12 of the 19 passengers in the upper deck were killed, uh, as well as 67 other passengers and four crew members. 39 people sustained serious injuries and 32 sustained minor injuries. Uh, out of the three pilots, the first officer sustained a minor injury and the other two were not injured. Oh, they weren't injured at all? Mm-mm. In my head, it's like, well, they were at the front, but I guess they they were higher up? Yeah, uh, that cockpit on the 747 is essentially on the upper deck. It's like at the very top of the plane. Okay. But, I mean, that doesn't necessarily save them. Like I said, 12 yeah. of the 19 passengers in the upper deck were killed. It was just the... And they, they got lucky. I mean, yeah. there's, no, there's really no other way to say it. So the investigation was carried out by the Aviation Safety Council of the Republic of China, which is Taiwan. Uh -huh. And the question is, you know, of course, how do these pilots line up on the completely wrong runway? Uh, at the time, like we said earlier, the airport had three runways, five left, five right, and six. Five left and five right were right next to each other with nothing in between them except for taxiways that connected the two runways. In fact, the original design of the airport did not include runway five right, what is 5 right in this case was initially supposed to be taxiway alpha, but while they were constructing the airport, they decided it would be a good idea to turn it into a runway just in case it became necessary to close runway 5 left if anything came up, like construction or maintenance or whatever. So mm -hmm. in the original plan, this was supposed to be uh, a taxiway, but they decided to make it a, a runway after all. So alpha was re-engineered and changed into runway 5 right, but the taxiway center lights were already installed, and taxiway center line lights are green, and the edge lights of taxiways are supposed to be blue. For runways, however, the center line and edge lights are mostly white. So five right had some confusing lights on it. Okay. For ILS runways, the edge lights turn yellow at the approach end, and at the end of the runway, the center lights turn red. When a taxiway conjoins with the runway, the taxiway center lights alternate green and yellow as well. But at the time of the accident, it had been decided to reconvert five right back into a taxiway. And they were going to call it Taxiway November Charlie, but this had not yet been fully implemented, and part of runway 5 right remained as a runway, but part of it was used for taxi purposes only. 
All of this is confusing. Oh, this can yeah. all be summarized as Five Right was initially envisioned as a taxiway. They decided to make it a runway. Then they decided to convert it back to a taxiway. So the centerline lights weren't entirely normal on this runway. So it was halfway used as a taxi, halfway as a runway? Correct. That's why it was not entirely closed. And the uh, the notification I read you earlier said that it was closed between November 4 and November 5. Huh. That's it, that you just raised a really key point. I'm going to come back to that later. You raised an <laughs> excellent question. We're, too, we're not far enough yet to get to it. I don't want to spoil it, but we're going to come back and we're going to talk about that a little more. We've got a very different kind of sponsor for you this episode. It's the Jordan Harbinger Show, which is a podcast you really should be listening to. I know that every day somebody tells you you just have to listen to some podcast. You nod, you say, sure, then you never listen to it. Don't let that happen here. Jordan Show, which Apple named one of the best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker, so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Each episode is a conversation with a different fascinating guest, and when I say there's something for everyone here, I really mean it. Uh, in one episode, Jordan talks to a hostage negotiator from the FBI who offers techniques on how to get people to like and trust you, which sounds useful and disturbing at the same time. Another episode tells the story of a cinematographer who discovered a lost city in the jungle and made one of the most important archaeological finds of the century. Got a couple of recent episodes here. He's got one with Drew Binsky, who's been to 194 different countries and talks about the adventures he's been on and just kind of takes you on a, on a, on a journey, what it's like to be there with him. I want to find out what it's like to spend 24 hours with an isolated tribe of pygmies. He's going to tell you. He's got another episode with Adam Grant, all about the power of knowing what you don't know and why being open to changing your mind is a huge advantage in your personal and professional life. Super interesting stuff. Uh, Jordan's always focused on pulling useful, practical insights out of his brilliant guests, and we're not talking about pop psychology or wishy-washy self-help stuff here. These episodes are loaded with bits of wisdom that you can use to legitimately change your mind and improve your life right away, and if that's not worth checking out, I'm not sure what is. So we really enjoy the show. We think you will as well. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you want, you can head over to jordanharbinger.com slash subscribe. Okay, so we all shop online. We've seen that promo code field that taunts us at checkout. Uh, but thanks to Honey, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. You see, Honey is the free shopping tool that scours the internet for promo codes and applies the best ones. It finds into your cart. Honey supports over 30,000 stores online. I mean, everything from tech and gaming products to fashion brands, even food delivery. So, I mean, all you do is you just go, you shop at one of your favorite sites, and when you're checking out, the Honey button just drops down, and all you have to do is click apply coupons. You just wait a couple seconds. Honey searches for coupons it can find on the site. And if Honey finds a working coupon, it's it's like magic. The prices just drop. Recently, I was shopping uh, uh, online for some clothing and uh, went to the checkout. And right there, Honey popped down and it saved me 10% off of what I was buying. It's literally like getting free money. Honey's found it's over $17 million, over $2 billion in savings. And if you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out on free savings. It literally free and installs in just a couple of seconds. I think it's like two or three clicks. It's so easy. It just sits in your browser. By getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this podcast. Uh, and you know, I never recommend something that I don't personally use. So you can get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash blackboxdown. That's joinhoney.com slash blackboxdown. During the investigation, the captain was asked why he made the continuous turn onto five right instead of going straight down to five left. He replied that he had followed the green taxiway centerline lights, believing they were leading him to five left. And the reason he thought this is because, you know, like I said, he was flying Singapore Airlines, at their home base in Changi Airport, Changi Airport uses what's known as Airfield Lighting Control and Monitoring System. The purpose of this system is to help keep the airfield operating safely and efficiently. And part of this system is the Taxiway Lighting Control System. And this detects conflicts in multiple selected taxi routes for different aircraft and provides an interlocking mechanism using taxiway centerline light segments and stop bars 
to resolve conflicts at taxiway intersections. So it's basically a really fancy system and it gives aircraft a line to follow and it tells them when to stop and wait for traffic and when to move again. It's like an automated traffic director. It's basically Mm. just like a super automated system that makes it a whole lot easier. Okay. And for aircraft arriving and departing at Changi Airport, air traffic controller will turn on the taxiway center line lights along an assigned route and instruct pilots to follow the green. So it's basically just like a route to make it just makes it easier on the on the pilots. When they do this, the taxi line center line lights on other taxi paths will either be turned off or blocked by stop bar lights or will be less apparent than the taxiway center line lights of the assigned path. So it just makes it so pilots would be able to easily taxi to their assigned destination by following the lights assigned to them. Okay. The problem is while Changi in Singapore has this system, Chiang Kai-shek in uh, Taiwan does not have this system. So when aircraft taxi at this airport, they need to navigate themselves using charts and instruments and signage. And at the time of the accident, all three pilots had worked for Singapore and flown in and out of Changi for at least five years. And they were accustomed to this follow the green method. And they believed the taxiway lights were taking them to the correct runway. So it was the right color for the lights in their airport. Right. But it it wasn't, it was something that's used at Changi, but was not used here. And, you know, the crew was distracted because they were preoccupied with taxiing. They were worried about the crosswind. They're worried about beating the typhoon. So they were preoccupied with all these other things. So the council thinks that the crew fell back into their, this practice, you know, even though that wasn't Mm -hmm. appropriate here at this airport. So the council also looked into the edge lights for runway five right, but they could not determine if they were on or off at the time of the incident. If they were on, the council believes the crew would have had more cues to tell them that they were on the wrong runway. So the width of runway five right is 45 meters. But the width of five left, six, and the runways at Changi in Singapore are all 60 meters. So, like I said, this might be a holdover from the fact that this was initially supposed to be a taxiway. It's a little more narrow than a normal runway. It's 45 meters instead of 60. The council thinks the lights would have been a cue to show the runway they were on was too narrow, and they would realize that they're on the wrong one. But in fact, the exact situation happened a few days earlier on October 23rd. There was another flight that was in a similar situation where visibility was low. And the captain for that flight said he felt compelled to turn onto five right, but he noticed the runway was too narrow, so he didn't. Oh. This other captain also noticed the green uh, centerline lights down the runway, and there was a lack of touchdown zone lights. And because of these cues, he didn't make the same mistake, and he didn't crash into the equipment. So if it almost happened previously, then it was definitely confusing and misleading. Right, exactly. The council could not determine if they were on or not, but if they were on those lights, the council thinks the crew still might not have noticed due to the weather conditions and because the crew already perceived themselves to be on the correct runway. The council also looked into the attention of the crew as they were taxiing. According to interviews and the cockpit voice recorder, when they were turning onto five right, the captain was trying to complete the before takeoff checklist and he was also focused on following the green lights and keeping the ground speed low due to the wet conditions of the runway. Like I mentioned earlier, it was wet and windy, so they were going slower than normal. The captain did not recall seeing any lights other than the centerline lights down the runway. The first officer was also focused on the checklist, and when he was done, the aircraft was already halfway through the turn onto five right. He then turned his focus to the PVD, and his opportunity to scan outside the aircraft was reduced. He recalled that the bright lights down the runway looked like the correct picture to him. The relief pilot was sitting in the jump seat and was working on a crosswind calculation, and by the time he was done, the plane was already on the runway and had a limited view of the outside. It's clear to the council that all three pilots were too busy focusing on other things and lost awareness of their location, and none directed their attention to the runway markings or signs during the turn. Yeah, so they were busy, not paying attention. Right, not paying full attention. And like I said, you know, when you're busy, distracted doing these things, you know, in the captain's mind, he thought he might have been thinking, oh, we've been going long enough, we're probably on the runway by now, here's a runway, this is it. 
you know, not giving his full attention to, uh, uh, to the situation. Mm-hmm. Bit of a side note and tangent here. It turns out there were also some problems with the emergency slides in this accident. The slides were designed in accordance with regulations to sustain wind speeds of 25 knots and inflate in six seconds. However, like I said earlier, the wind speeds were in their 30s, gusting to the 50s. So when the upper deck left door opened, the slide did not start inflating until a crew member pushed downward on it, but then the wind blew it up over the fuselage so it couldn't be used. The four right and five right slides had an uncommanded inflation and they inflated inside the cabin. Oh, in fact, the flight attendant who was sitting near the four right door was trapped in her seat by the slide and she began to suffocate. Oh my, so it just inflated inside the plane, like just the whole slide? Yeah, it inflated in the plane. It pinned her, it began suffocating her and she began getting burned by the fire because she couldn't escape. Oh no. Eventually the fire caused the slide to deflate and she was able to get out of the plane. The flight attendant sitting in five right was also nearly suffocated by the slide, but managed to get free and evacuate. There were some findings related to the uh-huh. probable cause here. The flight crew was aware of the fact that a portion of 5 right was closed and that runway 5 right was only available for taxi. The flight crew did not review the taxi route in a manner sufficient to ensure they all understood that the route to runway 5 left included the need for the aircraft to pass runway 5 right before taxiing on the 5 left. By the way, uh, on social media, I'll put a diagram of the airport and all of this stuff. I know this is like a lot of acronyms. (laughs) It might be difficult to picture this map in your head. We'll put a, a map on social media so you can see it. The flight crew had airport charts available when taxiing from the parking bay to the departure runway. However, when the aircraft was turning from taxiway November Papa to taxiway November 1 and continued turning onto runway 5 right, none of the flight crew members verified the taxi route. The captain's expectation that he was approaching the departure runway, coupled with the saliency of the lights leading to runway 5 right, resulted in the captain allocating most of his attention to these centerline lights. He also followed the green taxiway centerline lights and taxied onto runway 5 right. The moderate time pressure to take off before the inbound typhoon closed in around the airport and the condition of taking off in a strong crosswind, low visibility, and slippery runway subtly influenced the flight crew's decision-making ability and the ability to maintain situational awareness. Crosswinds are a big deal, especially Mm -hmm. for a a plane like this. Like if you think about how big the vertical stabilizer is on a 747, if there's a wind coming sideways, that's a lot of force, right? It's hitting a big surface area and can really... uh, affect uh, the performance of the plane. All right, there were some other findings here. There was no evidence to indicate that there was any undue organizational pressure uh, from Singapore Airlines placed on the flight crew to take off on the evening of the accident. So that's good. The airline was not pressuring them like, you have to do this right now. It was, they were putting the pressure on themselves. Air traffic control taxi instructions and the takeoff clearance did not mislead the flight crew to take off from the partially closed runway five right. Flight 006 was cleared for takeoff on runway five left and the flight crew confirmed the clearance before takeoff. The preponderance of evidence indicates that the runway 5 right edge lights were most likely not illuminated during the attempted takeoff. The main deck mid-cabin from rows 31 to 48 was not survivable in this accident because of the fuel-fed fire. 64 out of the 79 passengers died in this area. All passengers in the tail section survived where there was less fire. And the reason, of course, is that, you know, that's where most of the fuel is. That's why the people passed Mm -hmm. away there. You know, it's it's a lot harder to get out of that fire. It's more intense there. No slides were fully functional for survivors' evacuation in this accident because of impact forces, fire, and strong wind. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I had never thought about the thing inflating inside the plane. Yeah, it's uh, and those things are they're big. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was like, what? Oh my! Like, yeah, they're they're really big. Yeah. So there were some recommendations to Singapore Airlines here. Ensure that procedures for low visibility taxi operations include the need for requesting progressive taxi instructions to aid in correct airport surface movement. And progressive instructions is like, you know, step by step as you're 
progressing through the process, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, review the adequacy of current Singapore Airlines PVD training and procedures to ensure that Singapore Airlines documentation and operational practices reflect the use of the PVD to indicate whether the aircraft is in a correct position for takeoff. So again, just train to be, you know, to pay more attention to the PVD. They noticed it was off, but they still tried to take off anyway. Mm-hmm. Include in all company pre-takeoff checklists an item formally requiring positive visual identification and confirmation of the correct takeoff runway. I mean, seems logical, right? Confirm. Yeah. Confirm you're on the right runway. I will say that um, there was some pushback. I forget who. I think it was the, uh, it might have been the pilots union. Uh, I don't remember exactly here. There was some pushback on some of these findings saying that the runway should have had barriers at the end to prevent people from turning on to five right. Just to make it more clear that the runway was partially closed. But the problem was, since it was partially closed, they were still using it for taxiing. So they couldn't put barriers at the end there to prevent this kind of thing. Yeah. It was just kind of a a dangerous, bad situation all around. Yeah. So the recommendations to Boeing here. Provide airline operators with appropriate guidance information, including cautions to be observed when required to operate emergency evacuation slides in wind gusts that exceed the certified limit. And I feel I I should mention the thing about the barriers at the end. That's what I said I was going to get to later (laughs) about why uh, there was no... uh, no further indication uh, that they couldn't turn. Sorry, I forgot to mention mm-hmm. that just a second ago. <laughs> Recommendation to the International Civil Aviation Organization. Encourage and support the establishment of research by governments and industry to improve passenger smoke protection and improve emergency evacuation slide performance in heavy winds and post-accident fire. To the FAA, review emergency slide design to reduce potential for uncommanded inflation resulting from lateral impact forces. So that's just yeah. to make sure yeah. you know, these don't inflate inside the cabin when, during a crash anymore. So after the release of the report, the Republic of China public prosecutors called upon the flight crew to return to the Republic of China for questioning, and they complied. Uh, There were rumors that the pilots might be detained and charged with negligence, but the prosecutors did not press charges, and the flight crew was allowed to leave the Republic of China. Yeah, that'd be scary. Yeah. So the other Singapore 747 with the same paint scheme as this one was immediately Uh removed from service and repainted with standard Singapore Airlines look. I guess just, you know, they didn't want people yeah associating, they were like, rec- yeah, associating it or thinking about the crash or, you know, yeah. making a spectacle out of it. So just, you know, return this one to make it look like all the others, which I think is a smart thing to do. Yeah. The airline offered immediate financial relief of 5,000 US dollars to each survivor uh, a few days after the incident. And Singapore Airlines also offered 400,000 US dollars to the family of each of the dead. However, more than 30 survivors and families of the dead rejected the offer and sued Singapore Airlines for higher damages. Mm. 40 lawsuits were filed against Singapore Airlines in Singapore, while more than 60 passenger lawsuits were filed in the United States. And all of the lawsuits were settled out of court. So I don't know, you know how they were settled. Yeah. The captain and first officer were both fired in 2002. I know you, you ask about that frequently <laughs> when, uh, when the crew survives an incident. Uh, they, they, were, they were both terminated. Did they, I'm sure they felt really bad. Oh, yeah, of course. I mean... I can't imagine, you know, living with the guilt of that afterwards, you know, just no like a momentary lapse in decision making or inattention led to people losing their lives. And even from, you know, a selfish perspective, you know, they lost their job because of it. Mm -hmm. So this airport now only has two runways. Five left is still in the same location. And runway six was renamed to five right. And it's located on the other side of the airport. So, you know, five left and five right are not right next to each other anymore like they were before. Yeah. So a little bit of trivia. Uh, one of the people who was on this plane was a man named William Wang, and he survived. Uh, he had, you know, some minor carbon monoxide poisoning. He later founded the company Vizio. You know, they make TVs and oh. uh, home electronics. Yeah. So yeah, the founder of Vizio was on this flight and uh, survived. Wow. 
Uh, yeah, Vizio uh, started in uh, 2002, so a couple of years after this incident. That's a pretty big company, isn't it? Yeah, it's a it's a fairly yeah. big company. Yeah, it's it's always weird to when you look at a flight or something and look at who survived and what they later go on to do. Well, I mean, it's sad, right? Like the, yeah. then the, the next logical question is, what about the people who didn't make it? Like, what would they have done? You know, it's yeah. it's terrible, terrible incident, and and totally unnecessary. Like, could totally preventable, I should say. I mean, so that's it. That's Singapore Airlines 006, an incident where a plane hit construction equipment. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, absolutely awful, awful incident. Like I said, follow us on social media. I'll put some some diagrams here of the way the runways used to be and the taxiways. That way you can see. You can see on the diagrams like, oh, that's where November Papa is. That's where November 1 is. That's where November 4 and 5 are. Like, you, it helps show, you know, where this incident happened and how they made this, uh, this mistake turning uh, onto the wrong uh, runway. Um, but that's it. Thanks to everyone for listening. And as always, uh, give us a follow on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and now Facebook. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.